This podcast originally appeared on the player's voice feed. To listen to all 10 episodes, go subscribe to that feed now. And we'll bring you an episode every week right here on the OTB GA podcast feed. Enjoy! Welcome to the Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. My name is Alan O'Mara, a former Cavan goalkeeper now working as a performance and wellbeing consultant. During this series, we take listeners inside the minds of some of Ireland's most inspiring intercounty GA players and share important lessons from life on and off the field. I'm delighted to be joined this week by Neil McManus, who at 33 years of age has more than 100 intercounty appearances for Antrim under his belt. He opens up about his love for hurling and cushion doll and thanks to the longevity of his playing career, the joy he now gets from hurling with the sons of former teammates. This is a conversation about an athlete embracing his leadership qualities to create a more fulfilling life, the importance of personal development and much, much more. This podcast is brought to you as part of Bio360, a GPA program that empowers inter-county players across four key areas, life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to bio 360 com to learn more. Before we get started, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who listened to our previous episode about gambling addiction with Tyrone's Con Kilpatrick. I'm delighted to say it was our most streamed podcast ever. But for now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the player's voice with Neil McManus. First of all, I just want to say thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us on the Players Voice podcast. It's a conversation I'm really looking forward to. And to kick us off, I was just going to go back to, I suppose, the earlier years of your life, um, growing up in Cushendall. I suppose, what was, that, what was that like as a place to live? And just tell me about that. I've been so fortunate to grow up in Cushendall, Alan. It's, it's a remarkable place. Um, it's obviously well-known as part of the Causeway Coastal Route. Um, the Antrim Coast Road's a beautiful drive and it's a lovely area. And the Glens is, you know, it's relatively untouched by modern day life. Um, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, very tight-knit place. And I suppose, just to give you a little bit of the history, it was one of the very last uh, totally Gaelic-speaking regions of Ireland because of its inaccessibility. You couldn't really, uh, without a bit of difficulty, get in or out of the glens. And uh, so there are nine, there are nine glens uh, in the glens of Antrim. And uh, the, the, the area that we traded with most around that time was actually Scotland. So Cushendall itself is about 16 miles from Scotland. So, you know, I have, a, I have a much bigger drive to my nearest Tesco's or, uh, you know, Little or anything like that. So we, uh, the, the coast road that made the glens more accessible was built in about 1850. Uh, so that was the, the first time that the glens was accessible, really, um, by, by road transport. Uh, before that, it was really, you know, you had the mountains behind you, which were tough to get through, um, especially in inclement weather and then you had the sea in front of you. So most of the, the, the trade and most of the travel was done between the northeast coast of Ireland there, around the glens and Scotland, um, the western, western Isles of Scotland. And even to this day, 
if you and we, I'm lucky enough of a really good friend, Paddy McLaughlin, one of the the leaders of our community in Cushendall, who would take us across um, regularly to some of those those islands, Isla, Sanda, uh, Jura, and uh, and Rathlin as well. And uh, the names are McLaughlin, Macaulay. McAllister, you know, they're the names that are synonymous with the Glens and, the, you know, there's, there's, there's been a lot of travel back and forth uh, for a long, long time. So that, that nearly, I think, has fed in a huge amount to what people in the Glens are, are built on. You know, there's definitely a, a self-reliance, um, a resilience to the people of the Glens. Uh, you know, we do get, you know, heavy snowfalls and we get a bit of flooding and, uh, I think it produces tough people. It produces people who um, who are very connected to their to their area, and I think even people who have left the Glens and you know have done well in America or Australia or wherever it might be or England, they they keep in close contact and they're they're still very much part of the community and they they try to stay that way. And then like listening to you there, Neil, like is, is like in a place that sounds so rich of like culture and tradition and you said like some of those names that like everyone kind of associates with or is familiar with how how hand in hand or how synonymous was is the game of hurling then in that environment and within that community it's it's everything so hurling is absolutely everything to us um you know i know Growing up, all I wanted to do was be a senior herder for Cushendall. My, my father was massively involved in, in the club. So my, my, my mother is Cushendall, uh, born and bred. My father um, was essentially was displaced during the, the beginning of the Troubles in Belfast. And uh, I was the, the beneficiary of that move to, to Cushendall, um, along with my, my big brother and my wee sister. And my father was secretary of the club for a long time before being chairman. And he would bring us down, I suppose, when he was going to meetings and we'd be out in the field playing, but you know, looking at these guys in awe, and Cushendall has a really rich heritage of hurling and supplying some of the best known hurlers that Antrim have produced really to, to the county teams, and we've you know, performed probably well above the level expected for such a small rural club. Um, but that, that, that tradition has been there. You know, the Fesh na Glen was uh, first started in 1904 um, whenever the, that real Gaelic revival was happening all over Ireland and in our area that was really led by Roger Casement who Casement Park is named after um, in Belfast and um, that that area of the Glens was so rich such a rich tapestry of, of cultural heritage uh, Irishness and um, those things have, have really stayed and we, you know, we still play the fish. It's still an important competition um, locally in North Antrim, and the, the there was much more to that than hurling. Even you know, there there were uh, you know like crochet and quilt making and dance and song and uh, you know storytelling and the folklore uh, around Finn McCool and all those things. And um, that's that's a very big part of the the Glens area. But hurling's to the forefront. Hurling's what we're we're most passionate about, and. You know, it's a, a very parochial area, you know, everything to do with Cushendall is maroon and white. You know, four, and five, four or five miles down the road, everything's green and black for Cushendon and green, white and gold for uh, for Oshins Glenarif a mile out the road. You know, that's just the way it is. And like, and what you're describing there, like the wider community events, like the, the feshes and the 
the storytelling or whatever those may be was the GA club always kind of the epicenter of those things that it was just more than what was happening on the field although I'm sure for for likes of yourself and others what was happening on the field was was very important but there was other like other stuff going on wrapped around that Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the, the Hurling Club in Cushendall is the epicentre of, of our community. Um, the same for, for those rural communities in the Glens. Your Hurling Club is your, is, it's the focal point for the whole community. And we, you know, I suppose we, we learn more about the support that comes from being part of uh, the Hurling Club as you grow older. You know, I think for a, an awful lot of my 20s, definitely. Uh, late teens and 20s was so driven and so uh, focused on becoming a, as good an athlete as I possibly could, as good a hurler as I possibly could, that you didn't realise what you were part of almost. And you, you've seen that probably uh, most apparent whenever it was times of struggle. And, you know, we, we see, you know, bad weather and you see the community coming together to make sure that. You know, elderly people are, are getting their uh, getting their packages from the chemist to the pharmacy and getting the getting their groceries brought up to them. And you know, we're we're very lucky. We're part of something very special uh, in the GA because I think that feeling is there if you're in an urban setting uh, in in Dublin or Belfast or Cork. You know, that feeling is still there for uh, of uh, of community and of wanting to help each other. And that's. That's one of the key uh, characteristics of, of life in, in Cushendall and life in the Glens of Antrim. Yeah, it's such a, I mean, it's, it's one of the beautiful things about the GA um, in different communities that it can be kind of, it becomes more than just the games as such. And it's kind of interwoven through houses and communities and supports. And I suppose like as I was, as I was looking up around regarding your past, Neil, and kind of your history, like you go from that kid kind of in the sense of all oh, with the hurl in your hand while your dad's running meetings, messing around with your siblings. And then kind of you do graduate at a kind of at a, a rather quick pace. I think like you make like your senior championship debut with the club at 16. You're in with Antrim in 2007 then. Um, like what's it been like for, what, what was it like for you to kind of evolve through all that to become kind of a recognised face in the community and someone who is like very respected athlete and hurler to be, I suppose, a face of that, all that good stuff as well we've just talked about. It felt very natural. Um, I, uh, you know, was so focused on being a Cushendall senior player um, and, and then, you know, playing for Antrim followed very quickly. Um, I, I actually probably was not one of the more talented in our group of friends. We had a really strong group of players, Aaron Graffin, Paddy McGill, Shane McNaughton, uh, to name a few. You know, these are exceptionally talented guys and they'd have been a step ahead of me. There's, there's no two ways about that. Um, but I actually get, I got injured when I was 15 and a bad, ba- a bad back injury. And uh, I was out for like six, seven months and it gave me the opportunity to develop um, physically. And whenever I came back, I kind of, you know, at 15 or whatever, I was straight nearly onto the senior panel and being used as a substitute. And like in 2004, I came on in the, the senior championship for Cushendall against Lockheed in the semi final over in Ballycastle. Actually, in the old pitch, the Ballycastle since got a new pitch, but it was phenomenal, you know, to be one of the men coming home having represented Cushendall in the senior championship. Like we were beat and you were devastated, but yet I was still in cloud nine because I graduated through to, to represent Cushendall. And there was, 
it's something that I wanted to do for so so long. Um, and and what what age are you at that stage, Neil? Uh, if I was sixteen, I just turned sixteen. But yeah, uh, first you're, first you're senior games. A, you're still yeah. very much a boy amongst men. Like you're a boy playing amongst men. Totally, and yeah. and with my heroes, you know mm. the, the guys mm. that I you know adored going to watch the likes of. Uh, Connor McCambridge and John Carson, better known as Jackie, you know they're these guys that you know I went, I was running around in the garden, you know, two and three years before and pretend to be these guys, and then you were sharing a changing room with them and wanting to be successful with them, and you know there's the, the community is so tight up, there's real camaraderie there between the whole community, and and those guys really took me under their wing, and and things developed. At pace, you know, all of a sudden I was in the county minor team. I might, actually, I might have played for the county under 21s first. I think that at the end of that year I played county under 21 and then played minor the following year. And we had, at that stage, we were being taken at county minor level by Sambo McNaughton and uh, Dominic Woody McKinley. And they had a real hold on that group of players. You know, they fixated us on wanting to make Antrim be a competitive top tier team again and that hasn't left any of us you know the, the, the players that they developed you know your Neil McCauley's and Cormac Donnelly's Paul Shields Aaron Graffins Shane McNaughton's they, they they developed those players gave them that will they said you know we were in division one of the National League for seven or eight consecutive seasons whenever it was a six team uh, National League, National Division One League, very much at the top table. Very much at the top table. You know, knocking on the door. Obviously, they got to an All Ireland final in '89, but they had a much better chance to win the All Ireland probably in '91. DJ Carey uh, paid to that, but they, you know, they 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 had huge pride, and they're 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 that group of players are very well recognised and respected throughout Ireland today, and they they spoke about that, and I think they left us. Wanting that, and you know, we had we had a really strong minor team for a couple of years. Uh, who probably put, there was more effort put into that group of players than had been put into the the previous ten, possibly. And and the Antrim senior team lived off that that those that cohort of players for for ten years, probably. Wow, I like listen, listening to you there. I suppose like the thing that jumps out was like, let's say you're fifteen. I know you got that injury, but you you're kind of open and, and honest that you weren't even one of the best in your own age group, never mind, like, around the place. I suppose if I, if I could ask you then, I know, like, say I, when I was looking it up, I think on, it's, it's Wikipedia, so I take my stats with a pinch of salt, but I think, like, by the end of the 2021 season, there was some, it was, you'd played for Antrim 115 times at senior level and scored, I'm looking at it here, you scoring 38 goals and 505 points. I'm sure I don't know if you've a, if you've a notch of that on your wall or in a, in a notebook beside your desk there but I suppose I say those numbers for the listeners to kind of get a grasp of the longevity of your career and the impact you've had wearing a jersey and representing a place you're incredibly proud of with Antrim. Um what's what's empowered you to have that career you have when as you, when I go back to the beginning of my long-winded question was when you said you weren't even one of the best at your own age group. Well, firstly, I think my mother has uh, wrote those stats on Wikipedia for <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, no, is she cooking? Is she cooking the numbers or what? <laughs> I, I honestly have no idea. I know I got a. I, the, the only thing that I do know that there's a 
Uh, a journalist from the Irish Times had told me at the start of last season, so that was 2021, that I had more appearances in league and championship than any Antrim hurler before, and had, had scored more. But there was no there, there was no uh, figures with that. But I we. We were a very tight-knit group of friends as well, to be fair, and uh, we were all doing the same things, but they all got to play County Minor a year earlier than I did, and because they were better, simply, you know, um, and even at that under-16 age, I just wasn't on the team um, until my final year, and those guys were probably playing for their third year in a row or whatever, but the, the injury was a blessing in disguise because, um, you know, I'm, I'm tall, I'm six foot two, but I was, you know, I was a real skin and bone youngster, a slip of a kid. And you call that wiry. Wiry, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I transformed after spending the, you know, six or nine months getting my back right, which meant an awful lot of core stability work. I probably didn't look any bigger, but I was a lot physically Strength-wise. improved. And yeah, it was, it was a different athlete altogether. Um, and you know, then whenever that opportunity came to play for the seniors, I was getting brought on when those lads weren't. You know, so it kind of jumped an awful lot very, very quickly. Um, now we all went on to do very, you know, very similarly in our careers. We all stuck together. Then we came on through those two years of County Minor together, into the senior team together. We won our, our first championship, senior championship. Uh, whenever we were in our first year of minor and that was fantastic because we won the minor and the senior championship two years in a row class and that's just you know dream the stuff of dreams and uh, you know you're, you're riding in the crest of a wave and I suppose you, you think that that will just transpire into your inter-county career as well and, and where we've had some good results along the way you know uh, we haven't got to that constant level of division one uh competitiveness really there have been ups and downs I actually think the group that we're involved with now probably has the best opportunity to um, to really you know identify ourselves as a Liam McCarthy team a division one team uh, and kick on because they're so youthful because they're so young um, because the, the setup's so good as well so that that that's good and that, that that's that's a that's an encouraging factor but uh, back back to that time I, you know, Ireland was just everything. You, we weren't. I certainly wasn't thinking about, you know, what, what I was going to do in a year's time or two years' time or what was going to be achieved. It was, you know, you're living week to week, just putting everything you, you had into Ireland for for Cushendall and for Antrim and trying to be as successful as you could. It was such a natural evolution for me, anyway, to move into the the senior team and uh, to dedicate myself to it because that's what I'd wanted for so, so long. Mm-hmm. And I know, as, as, as I think in there, like you've talked about that kind of core group that come true and the longevity of your careers and kind of being part of it for a significant period. Like, I, did I, I jump back to, you say, like the 1989 final and then the, the guys had a real, that team had a really good opportunity in 1991 as well. Like, what's your kind of when you reflect on the years gone by, like does it upset you or is it frustrating that you haven't been able to grace those kind of bigger days wearing the Antrim colours? What's your kind of feeling and emotion around around that? So there are different ways I look at it, maybe depending on uh, what mood you're in and how philosophical you're feeling. In those you days... Be as philosophical as you want here. <laughs> 
In, in those days, in the, you know, in the 90s and the, the late 80s, when you won the Ulster Championship, you went straight into an All-Ireland semi-final. So, I, I, you know, I, I've been playing for Anand for 15, 16, 17 years, I'm not even 100% sure, and I've st I haven't played in an All-Ireland semi-final at any stage. Quarter-final stage is as far as we've got. And... Uh, we had to win, you know, a couple of big games to get to a quarterfinal. Um, where, because the Ulster Championship doesn't uh, qualify you for any uh, stage of the uh, of the of the All Ireland Championship with William McCarthy. So, and it never did in my time. Uh, so, even though it's not played at all anymore, which I think is a <laughs> which is a really uh, shocking indictment of hurling and Ulster. Um, but. Um, what I, I've, you know, I've played in an All Ireland club final on St Patrick's Day, um, and that was phenomenal. Uh, you know, even like, funny, we had a flu in the in the camp, and we didn't do ourselves what justice. Year, sorry, at Neil, all. What year was that again? Twenty sixteen against the Pearson. Okay, well yeah. beat um, by by a super team, but we, you know, we had, we we could have been an awful lot better. You know, we, we there was a flu in the camp. I had it as well, and you know, we didn't give a. a, a an account of ourselves that was uh, a, a true representation of the team, and that that irks a little bit. But the occasion is still very enjoyable, and you know, even those those like county final occasions with your club or Ulster final occasions are phenomenal. Um, and the, the the few big days, like one in the Joe McDonough a couple of years ago with Antrim and Croke Park, great. You know, a really nice occasion. Um, or, Go back to 2010 and uh, beating Dublin and Croke Park in front of a full house. You know th those those memories are, are lovely, but to have played regularly in All Ireland semi-finals um, and All Ireland finals would have been incredible. Um, but it doesn't make me. Uh, it, you know I don't regret anything as a consequence of that. Um, I kind of love it all the more probably um, in a strange way because. It's definitely the road less travelled, and uh, you know I love the fact that you play the GA. I think the best thing about the GA is you play for where you're from. You know that that's what it's all about. We're, we're representing our communities, uh, and then we're representing our county, which is a, a collection of our communities. And you know there's a, there's a connection that can't be got there. You know, if you explained to somebody what uh, an inter county athlete does in preparation for their four or five big matches a year and they're not that doesn't you know impact them financially they would say you're absolutely mad what are you thinking using up so much of your time uh towards a sport that is not you know benefiting you financially but that you know that is nearly the the beauty of it that unexplainable uh Commitment to to your to your sport to your craft to your community. That's that, that, that's the beauty of the GA. To that exact point, like in the words like connection jump out as I was listening to you there and community. Like, could you actually go a little a layer deeper for me in terms of that All Ireland final with the club in Crow Park in 2016? I mean, as soon as you mentioned it, like your face, like your your cheeks nearly pinged up, even though like. Like the result was a negative and you said you didn't perform, but I get the feeling and the impression that that day was about something much bigger as well for the wider community. I imagine there wasn't too many cars left behind and cushioned all that day, you know? Um, and it, Tell me a little bit more about that experience and kind of what your memories are now of that journey, as well, not just the, the game itself, but that journey with, with a group that you're obviously very proud of and would have been a key leader in, I'm sure. 
So my my uh, immediate me- memory of the All Ireland final day, St Patrick's Day 2016, will always be on the bus uh, sitting beside Shane McNaughton, and so we were best friends since we were very young, and uh, listening to the songs that were coming on, um, and just enjoying it, embracing it. I suppose we were, you know, it's. It's six years ago, so you know, we're 27 or, or so, 26, 27, and we're probably mature enough to to be able to take in a little bit of the day. And that bus Soak journey was great, yeah. And I remember just, I think, I think it was uh, Lucas Graham. Seven years was the song. You know, not that any great fans. It's a, it's a good tune, but you know, it, it always brings me back to to that day. That's, and uh, that song is imprinted in your mind, like it is, it is. Yeah. Um, and you're sharing that with somebody you've grown up with, and so many of your best friends are in that bus, and boys that you were in primary school with, and even like there was a there was a great. Um, there was a great buzz about the community. How could there not be? Uh, it was uncharted territory for us. We had been the, the bridesmaids so many times, got to all Ireland semi-finals, beat after a replay, you know, beat after uh, extra time. That happened to me on a couple of occasions, and I've been happening since we won our first championship in Cushendall in 1981. You know, the nearly men. So often we we finally broke that uh, duct and got to a final, and you know, all the build-up to it was. Was fantastic, um, and the the you know the fundraising that was done, and um, even coming home, even though you know we had really hadn't performed anywhere close to our potential, you know the homecoming that we got in Cushendall was phenomenal that evening, um, and I think it it's left an impression on a lot of the guys who are now, you know, at, at that age in their mid twenties who who really want to see that success again. Um, and who want to be part of it and lead it, maybe with their cohort of friends, you know, who come up together. Sure. It's a nice, it's a nice uh, start to a legacy to leave. I love that. Um, I think you've kind of encapsulated and, and kind of captured that really, really well. Um, and I suppose as 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 you're chatting through it there, I'm thinking, okay, you're what age are you now, Neil? I'm 33. Uh, I'll be 34 so, in June. Yeah, and like you touched upon it there, being at that kind of that latter end of. You're certainly the second half of your playing career, let's call it that. Or if you're going to go full Tom Brady, you might only be in the first <laughs> quarter. But um, like just in terms of that bigger picture, then I've been able to soak things up and have a maybe more perspective on things. And I suppose in terms of life now, like stepping away from hurling off the field, like what is what is the big picture of your life now wrapped around hurling? What's going on in your life right now? So I would say my, my life probably uh, off the field anyway changed as soon as I started the Jim Madden leadership program I had I was the archetypical case of a guy who was 100% focused on hurling even to my own detriment at times because that that sole focus doesn't do anybody any good Um, and that kind of one dimensional uh, setup which I I definitely had but um, I then went and done the Jim Madden leadership program and, and what it really taught me was that these skills are so transferable into everyday life, into your working life, into your career, that you're learning in a changing room, that you're learning uh, as part of a team, uh, and especially being in a leadership role of a team, they're so applicable to your work and to taking on roles in your community and things like that, that 
we, everybody who sat in the changing room throughout Ireland has so many more skills than they, they think they have. And I started that Jim Madden leadership program, I think it was probably 30, 29, 30, and it clicked for me that uh, I actually know this, this makes sense. It's probably, it's, it's, it's certainly the best piece of education that I've ever had, including a degree and the, every, every day probably that I spent at school. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I decided, okay, let's start implementing this. And all of a sudden I was in a leadership position in work and uh, I work for a company called Andor Technology. And we make, uh, you know, we, we, we make scientific cameras really. Um, I'm not on the technical side of things at all. I'm an operations manager and uh, they do great work. Um, some, of the, some of the products that are made here in Andor are used for uh, cancer cell investigation and some were used for, uh, throughout the pandemic to try and um, you know, do some of the vaccine uh, investigation work there too. So look, it's a, it's a really purposeful job to have, um, a career to be in. But those, those skills I've been learning as a, as a player um, and as a team member, I wasn't utilizing them in my, in my career. And whenever I started to do that, you know, it started to take off. We have a, a team of around uh, 60 at the minute and I really enjoy that. I enjoy the cultural side of that hugely. Um, you know, my own mistakes are, are the best teachers really uh, in, that, in that environment and it's a, it's a great fast-paced environment, something that I really, really enjoy. I, I enjoy the, the, the setting up of, the, of the, the week in terms of the production end uh, and I probably enjoy the cultural side of it even more, trying to see what, what we do and how we can do it better and um, how we do it with each other, working together, that type of thing is the, is the bit I probably enjoy the most. Yeah, I heard you say, like you, you mentioned the word skills there like a number of times. And if I was to kind of, if just to push you, to say, like what, I suppose it's, it, we hear it all the time, oh, the skills are transferable. But I suppose what were those skills for you? What really kind of clicked that I have A and I can use that over here? Was there anything specific or anything like very helpful that you learned? The, the main one is probably communication. You know, mm -hmm. we're constantly communicating with each other in change rooms on the field about how we want to play, about the standards we're setting within our, uh, within our environment. And then coming into our career, Monday to Friday, whatever your, your working week looks like, and not doing any of that. And just somebody's saying, here's your actions for the week, and you, you go and you follow them, and, you, and then you, you clock out again. Um, I know that I've started to enjoy my work so much more since I've started to take a really active role in it. Um, started to, you know, communicate with the different teams in in our facility here to to make things better for the company. But mainly, that's done through making things better for the individuals working within the company. So things that you know, we're, you know, everybody who probably will listen to this will have found themselves talking in a changing room at some stage. That's a, that's a huge skill, you know, communicating with somebody, showing, they've, everybody who listens to this will have showed some member of their team a skill that they're strong at and they'll have been shown a skill by another member of their team that they're, they're weak at. And if you just start to do those simple things, that's fantastic leadership. Uh, and it will have huge effect uh, throughout your organisation, uh, throughout the team that you're working in, and that will set you apart. 
those those couple of things, you know, adding that little bit of extra commitment that you've you've already been displaying in your playing career, communicating more uh, more openly, communicating more. Um, I would say nearly communicating more regularly simply as that just doing it more regularly saying this is what I'm doing today I also want to do this and if you can do X, Y or Z that will really help me and we'll tie in together here and if you just use those leadership skills those communication skills um, show people your commitment you'll, you'll have the ability to buy people in and that's important no matter what field you're working in and it will set you apart from other people in that field too and I, I know that if I am in the future looking after a company or um, recruiting for a company, I'll be looking for people with those skills first and foremost because you can teach people to do the technical stuff um, much easier than you can teach people uh, to, to lead and to communicate and to, to uh, bring people and lead people. Yeah, and, and connect. I'm struck by, as you're talking about your work environment there, it, honestly, it made me think of the environment you described with Sambo McNaughton and that crew of you lads trying to embed like embed proactive and good messages and a sense of belonging and a bigger picture into what we're doing now. Just, am I hearing that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we have we have you know kind of we have one kind of rule that myself and the team leaders that I work with on a day uh, kind of stand to that we want to create an environment where you'd be really comfortable bringing your brother, your sister, your mother, your son into. And uh, that encompasses nearly everything that we want to do because that's how we train people. That's how we uh, work through the performance issues, you know, the two sides of the, the scale. That's how we praise people, you know, how we would want to see that done to, you know, someone in our family. And, um, like I think that when it's so easy to be part of a of a group of people when the goal is so common, and it is you know you want to win your league, you want to win your championship, whatever it is, uh, in work it's harder to create that because everybody has their individual goals and um, maybe somebody who's working along a career path, but if you can use your skills that you've learned in a changing room on a hurling field, whatever the case may be. To help bring a team together, that that skill alone is is a great gift to, to share with people. Yeah, because I think there's there's serious like purpose comes with that and joy and a deeper sense of of meaning to the work that you're doing. And like as I was I was I was surfing the web like over the last couple of days, just getting ready for this conversation. A quote jumped out at me that I just that I'll just read to you, but. It was. It's kind of linked into what we've just been talking about. Like you said, I was the antithesis of growth. I didn't think about anything in regards to education or, or anything at all outside of hurling. Um, and like, as I think about that quote now again, and after we've just had that, the conversation we're having right now, that's full of such insight and wisdom and um, understanding of like the big picture. I think I, like one thing I would say is that quote you gave is, is more common than people realize in athletes often because they come through like a, a system and the athletic identity ultimately is the biggest driver of their lives. I think you alluded that to, to that earlier as well. Um, I suppose my question then like around that was, let's say there's a younger inter-county player listening to this right now, or it could be a rugby player or whoever it may be where sport is dominating their life. Or I suppose the, 
Yeah, I think dominating their life is the phrase I would use, but they're not looking after other aspects of their life. What what advice or what would you say to say GPA members right now who are who are living through that or feeling that way? So I I think we're getting slightly better at that. I think that uh, even in, in in the Antrim team, for example, people are becoming more in tune with the notion that high performance, if you want to call it that, has has uh, a couple of different uh, sections to it and only one of them is actually your playing career because we'll, we'll, we'll spend an awful long, lot longer outside of our, our playing career than we will uh, during it. So, and I, I do, and I'm sure some of the boys that maybe will listen to this uh, from our own panel will laugh because I do push them to try and spread their wings a bit and look at what they're doing from an education viewpoint, from a career viewpoint, because the opportunities that the GPA have put in front of me have absolutely changed my career um, to something that I really enjoy now, something that I'm passionate about, and something that gives me a real purpose to be involved with. So I think that's the key. Uh, you know, it's great if you get a, a new job and you're getting a few more quid in the bank at the end of the month, but the more important thing is that the services that are available give you the opportunity to train and to get to a place where you're going to find a purposeful career, something that actually you're getting something out of, you feel good about. You know, you're you're getting that connection with a company somewhere that you think I'm I'm doing I'm doing good for people here. I'm doing uh, something that I enjoy, something that I can go home at night saying I enjoyed that. That wasn't time wasted. I didn't just clock in at nine and clock back out at five. I went in. I made a difference. I pushed myself. I made a difference to for my company, I learned something myself, so I'm growing here as well. Um, and the opportunities just spring from that. If you can get that mindset going, uh, which is tough because I think in our, certainly in our early 20s, I had no notion of it. I, I, just, I just wanted to figure out how I could spend more time you know, practicing how to catch a ball coming out of the sky or uh, any, any skill that I, I could think of or spend more time in the gym. And uh, the earlier you can make that conversion in your head um, to th- thinking about you know growing yourself in all areas, the better your life will be um, and the better your career will be because we've got this opportunity now really to develop our career. It's harder in, in your 30s and 40s, I think, because other things in life will, will happen during those periods. So your, your 20s is a, a very important period for your career as well as for your sporting life. Are you proud of the way you've been able to kind of merge that like Neil McMahon is the hurler, Neil McMahon is the person in a much healthier and kind of balanced way? I think it was it was necessary. I don't know how, how proud I am. It was something that I totally neglected and had a, I would say, nearly catch myself on a wee bit because I wasn't paying any attention to my career. And uh, I'm just glad I, I, I did it in time, really. Um, and... Uh, and now, you know, it gives me another dimension, really. Uh, and it gives me certainly more fulfillment. There's no two ways about that. It gives me the opportunity to create opportunities for other people, which is something that I really like doing. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly of much more use to the company that I'm working for. And I'm certainly much happier in my role. So it's a win-win for everybody. And uh, I definitely would encourage 
anybody who's listened to this for the thoughts of it getting you know a little bit of an inside track on the hurling side of things or the football side of things don't worry about that uh, I think that passion that we're all that we all have instilled within us will look after that for us and maybe try and direct it a little bit more to, towards uh, the education or career side of things that sense of like combining that and like I suppose what I hear is that there was kind of some I call it maybe as like without like being too fluffy about it like just kind of an awakening in you in terms of your life away from hurling and what kind of wanting more off the field both for yourself and your family I'm sure and then I, and I'm sure the knock-on effects of having work like you have now kicks into your family life too that there's more joy there more energy maybe to give to um I was just curious like in terms of that before that awakening what was your professional life like like what were you doing and kind of how did that make you feel so look I I had a great um, a great pair of role models my mother and father worked really hard they're both just recently retired and uh, they both worked incredibly hard their whole life so I, I worked hard but there was no end goal to what I wanted to do I, you know I came in and I worked hard during my working hours but I, I had no thought to what I wanted to become where I wanted what I wanted my next job to be um, there, there was no foresight whatsoever um, and just through the Jim Madden leadership program I realised uh, this is what I'm good at the communication the, the, the leadership type stuff that is actually because I'm not very technical uh, it's not a strength and I work in a you know a, a high scientific technological company where there are some absolutely brilliant minds and I can't keep up with them in any way shape or form but uh, that's okay because I don't, that's not what my, my job's, you know, that's, that's 5% of my job and it's not the bit that I enjoy anyway. So um, I, I enjoy working with people, that's it. And, you know, if, if I had have realised that a lot earlier, I'd have moved in that direction earlier and I'd have started my career, um, I'd started moving my career towards the area that I wanted it to be um, rather than just coming in and doing a job as you're talking there the other thing that kind of jumps out at me Neil is that you very much like kind of become very comfortable in your voice and kind of where you're at and, and kind of embracing embracing that strength that you have to communicate and to speak and like I know we, we've touched upon the GPA already in, in terms of how they've benefited you and your work there and I'll revisit that in a little bit too I suppose the other organisation that I did want to talk to you about because I know you mentioned your dad there was mm -hmm. The Royal National Lifeboat Institution, like it's, a, it's an organization I know you're really passionate about. I know how important it is in in your community and the impact it's had. But like when again, I, I mentioned earlier, I I was googling Neil McManus. I'd been on Wikipedia. I found that article about the 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 growth. But then, like a headline just jumped out that just caught me so strongly. Just the day that the RNLI saved my father's life and. If it's okay with you, I'd just like to throw that kind of the question to you, kind of what happened there and what that story was. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, it's, it's actually, I'm more than happy to talk about that because I want to promote what, what we now know as the first responders. So um, all over Ireland, there are people in your community who are volunteers and they volunteer as first responders. So... Obviously, in rural areas, it takes longer for the emergency services to get to you. 
and Cush and all being in the glens of Antrim, we're, we're about an hour from uh, a hospital um, for an ambulance anyway, you know, 40, 45 minutes in a car. And um, my father went out to play golf on a Saturday morning and we were actually joking with him because it was raining and saying, I, it'll not be too long to your home type thing. And uh, he was home, you know, probably in about an hour. Obviously around the golf takes three or four hours to play. So I had a joke with him when he came in the door, you know, you didn't stick it too long type thing. And he went to sit down in his chair that he always sits down in. Um, but he got up again and went out of the room and he lay down in what we would know as the, the, the good room. Um, the other living room that's never really used. And <laughs> he, he was lying down on the sofa. I've never seen him lie down on the sofa in my life. And I, I can't really explain it, but I just rang the ambulance. I rang, rang 999 and said, I think my father's having a heart attack. Um, and whenever that happens, the ambulance service takes the first responders in your area and uh, the two first responders in our area are Joe Burns, who's cushioned all, and uh, the, uh, the second guy is Hugh McElwain from Glenariff, and uh, better known as the Mariner. Um, he was a seaman, he owns a pub called the Mariner Shrine in, in Glenariff, <laughs> but he, uh, <coughs> uh, Joe, Joe uh, turned up to the door and he turned up to the door because he knew my father and he wanted to know where number 12 was and there's no number on our door and so he only knocked at our door to find out where number 12 was and I opened the door and he, he just said where's number 12 and he was, I was sort of you know in the middle I thought enough to deal with rather than somebody coming to the door and he just he looked at me and said is your father okay and I said no and he just came in the door past me and a matter of minutes he had the shirt off and chest shaved and the, the pads were on his chest and he went into cardiac arrest um, and Joe Byrne saved his life wow. there and then and while this was going on Hugh McElwain the other first responder arrived and uh, he was uh, you know carrying out CPR and even you know the first shocks that they gave him it didn't, didn't bring him around so he was out for, for probably about four minutes and you're getting into a kind of time space there where you know you, you need to bring that person around or you're, you're obviously at risk of brain damage um, and they, they, they brought him around at the second attempt really um, and you know the ambulance service arrived probably you know 40 or 50 minutes later but the two the two guys were phenomenal incredible wow. um, and just like my, my father and, and Paddy McLaughlin who, who I mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast um, started a a, a group called Cushendall Community Resiliency and, and part of it was first responders and some of it's just simply getting sandbags out to, to, to places that are liable to flooding and you know uh, looking for four by four drivers in times of heavy snow and things like that but you know essentially one of the strands of that ended up saving my father's life um, and you know, we went up to hospital taking a funny one we went up to hospital uh, we were in the ambulance just me and my father and we were getting ready to play the championship semi-final the next day um, which was against Luckgill Shamrocks and they had been big rivals of ours at the time and he hadn't the energy to move hardly but on the way up in the ambulance you know, he grabbed me by the arm and said you know, start getting the head right for tomorrow now and, you know, and, and, kind of, and lay back down the bed and I was like just get to the hospital don't be worried you know. but that's, that's what it means you know, that's what, what hurling means to, to, to us in Cushendall and uh, um, ah, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a fantastic uh, it was a fantastic outcome from a very unlikely uh, situation um, to be in uh, certainly it was unlikely to have a positive outcome so we 
you know, we, we've been very, very lucky. I mean, it's such an incredible like testament to the importance of community and volunteers and like training and like like it's just it's a really really powerful story and i'm also struck by as i think about what you've just shared is that like if you didn't have the where whereabouts or the awareness to kind of see or sense something like let's just say oh he's just gone for it maybe let's say your dad was a napper and he went for a nap like he does on other days like what why what gave you that kind of that that sense or that aware that's got six cents or that trigger that something's not right here and, and gave you the prompt to make that call? I have no idea. I can't really, I can't, I can't explain that because my mother actually, whenever I seen him going into that room, I, I came back into the kitchen to make the phone call and my mother came back in a few minutes later and said, I think we should ring doctor and call. And I said, well, I've already rang an ambulance. Um, you know, because I'm, I, I suppose... He never had a sick day. I think, he, you know, in about 40 years of work, he'd never been sick. I'd never known him to be ill. You know, that generation are tough, hard-working people and they don't stay off of the cold, you know. So um, I never, I've never known him to be off work. I'd never known him to be sick. Um, very active, very uh, healthy, energetic man. And to see him lying down the sofa, you know, it just wasn't quite right. But I can't fully explain it. Like, I'm, I have no medical... Uh, background or anything, so I I, uh, I certainly didn't know what was happening. It was just potluck, uh, and uh, I guess really, and just very lucky that you know that Joe Burns was available, had the defib near to him, and was was there in time. And that's you know that's like cushioned all. You know the community saved me dad's life. That's the the long and the short of it. It's incredibly powerful, Neil. Um... There's just so I actually there's just so many different thoughts going through my head as 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 I hear that like you know like were, like were you living at home at the time were you just over for the day like, were you in the house I was I was in the house I was still living at home uh, yeah I would have been still living at home at that stage um, so I wasn't married yet and uh, just by chance I think I was supposed to be going over to Aileen's house that day I think I don't know why I didn't go or whatever I just happened to be in the house. Um, and I'm so lucky that I was really. No, I like, appreciate, and I appreciate you sharing that story because I know, like people listen to this, people's family members or friends, you you kind of get that sense. Like sometimes you can't wait; you have to kind of take action, and it's better to be. It's obviously better to be safe than than sorry with anything like that. And I think it's there's a really like there's a really incredible and powerful lesson there. So like I, I thank you again like for, for sharing that and for being an advocate for groups like that and for volunteers like that to give them a voice and to give them a presence and an awareness that people know about the uns, the unseen work but also like life-saving work that goes on particularly in rural areas I suppose that are as you said an hour away from a hospital or 45 minutes away or some places are longer um I just think it's just so important the reason then the RNLA had trained you and that's why I'd become involved with the RNLA then. But, you know, as you say, th those people are totally unsung heroes of every community because they're, like, the RNLA are going out, they're volunteers going out into, you know, unbelievably challenging situations, sometimes la life and death situations, to, to try and help people who are, uh, you know, struggling in, in the water. And we're a coastal community, so... Just going um, to say... 
they, I, you know, I feel you feel nearly uh, like a bit of a fraud almost. You're 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 championing or you're championing their cause, but you're not. Like I'm not a member of the RNLA, and I know like you know Big Jackie Carson, who I spoke about incredible hurdle front and McCushendall is now you know I'm a crew member there and 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 Cushendall. Um, you know those those people are they're they're the glue of the community. They're they're the those people with that ethos are are, are the they're, they're so important to to our rural communities. Yeah, and like and the other like the other organisation which you are a member of, like the the Gaelic Players Association. I know you're not just a member, but you've sat on the national executive committee for a couple of years now, right? I have. Yeah. What does that work involve, and what do you enjoy about that? Like taking on that role because it's easy to be a GPA member and say, "Listen, I get my scholarship or I get access to that leadership program, and I can have a counselling support or I can get like help starting up my own business and all that stuff." But kind of what made you want to take on a more significant role? And again, what do you enjoy about that work? Well, you know, I, I think that I, I became the GPA rep uh, after Carl McKeegan. Uh, retired from Inter County, um, probably around 2011, and uh, it was a it's a great opportunity to talk to like-minded people, really, um, and it's a great uh, it's a great organisation that are just providing so much value for our uh, our players, you know, and now thankfully our ladies players as well as our as our male players so that's phenomenal as well and they're driving massive change everything in the right direction it's so easy to get behind everything the gpa have have been doing for for all of us really because you know the amount of people who have educated themselves used all the, the range of services is phenomenal really um and we're so lucky to be playing Gaelic games in a time when that's available so you know that, that's a no-brainer for me um, and like I look our, our GPA rep now is Connor McCann and he does an unbelievable job for our squad um, we couldn't be looked after any better um, and the whole setup is just fantastic it really is and the impact that it's having on, the, on, on, our, on all our players is super and that that merger of, like, I suppose, what was the GPA and the WGPA now into one organisation, how important do you think that advancement has been? And I suppose for for that area of equality and driving that in Gaelic games, and then I'm sure it's Gaelic games first, and it'll ripple out. But how important do you think that work is? That's oh, massive. Like my my wife played in our county Camogie Frontum for ten years, and you know it was laughable how they were looked after, really. Um, and uh, you know now uh, we're we're seeing uh, we're really starting to see even though the WGPA and the GPA were working hand in glove for for a long period of time before the merger, I think things are going to move at a really quick pace here. We're going to see much more alignment, um, and the, the the world of Gaelic games will be all the better for it. No, I to- totally agree. Um, I think it's 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 so important, and it, it's great that. I know like the GPA is the organization, but also that players individually are stepping up and using their voices, both male and female, and working together now to try and impact and create meaningful change because a lot of the stuff that's gone on, and it's like the more you talk to female players over the years and the more you get to know, it's like it's just not acceptable, it's not good enough, and, and change just has to happen. You mentioned it with Aileen there. Um, I suppose my last question for you then as you kind of wrap this up was I know 
we've we, look we've gone full circle there from start to to now and everything in between. I know like it's it's I'm right in saying you're now playing with players who some players who are the sons of of players you used to play with. Am I am, am I right in saying that? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Uh you're right. Um so uh, last year, I think uh it was kind of funny. I was uh Maybe a year or two ago, actually, uh, Ronan Malloy was rooming uh, alongside me on one of the trips, and uh, he had the background. Obviously, I wasn't going to let that piece of information slip, but he had said, you know, he said, uh, I, you and Daddy used to room together, didn't you? And uh, <laughs> so I got a bit of stick about that one, all right, now. Uh, his father, Malachi, was very good to me, you know, whenever I was starting off. And uh, it's just funny, you know, that uh, these lads are now you know, they're men now, you know, uh, like whenever I was meeting them, they were kids at the, at the side of their dad or, their, you know, being brought on the field afterwards by their mother maybe and you were getting to meet them and now they're, they're senior players for their club and for their county and that's great, that's the, that's as you say, it's the full circle um, and uh, it's, it is brilliant because they, that, like, I know I, I Antrim hadn't been pushing and hadn't been really delivering any success worth talking about had been going through the motions for a couple of years around 2017 2016-2017 and then you know I think Darren Gleeson's played a big part in moving that forward and making us more competitive again and making it making the the commitment level higher bringing it to where you want to be involved where you really feel that there's there's something to be gained and you can add something and that impetus, I think I was probably going to be happy enough to let it go at that stage whenever I was sort of 29. And uh, I'm delighted now to still be involved with this group because the setup's so good that the young players bring such an exuberance to it. And, you know, there's great slagging back and forward. And uh, it's just a, it's a really good environment. Brilliant, brilliant group of really talented lads, but all working really, really hard. You know, putting in a huge amount of effort and it's really good to be a part of that. No, incredible. Um, I will just say I've really enjoyed talking to you. I've enjoyed like the insights and the reflections and the good memories and some some more challenging ones. But I've really appreciated it. So Neil McManus, thank you. Thank you. The Players Voice Podcast is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. To listen to previous episodes with Tom Parsons, Chloe and Shane Amori, Kate Keeney, Louise Galvin and Con Kilpatrick, make sure to subscribe by searching The Player's Voice on whichever podcast platform you prefer. My name is Alan O'Mara, and to find out more about my work as a performance and wellbeing consultant, please go to www.realtalks.ie. That's www.realtalks.ie. Or find me on Twitter and Instagram at AOMDecat. Don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's Bio360 program by visiting bio360.gaelicplayers.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>